0: Hey, uh, it's Eric Newcomer. I'm here with Deadcat. Tom and Katie are here. And we have Phil Libin, the founder and former CEO of Evernote, who is now uh, the founder of Mmm and All Turtles. He's been a venture capitalist, a great tour guide of Silicon Valley, even though like much of Silicon Valley, he has now fled. We'll probably get into that. Um, So excited to just have sort of a Fun conversation capturing uh, where uh, the tech mood is right now. And I just want to start off. I mean, Phil, you're really uh, positioning yourself on the metaverse. On January 5th, you tweeted, I hate the metaverse so much, so, so much. Do you want to just start us off there, why why the hatred uh, for the metaverse?
1: Well, that was I was just responding to that Walmart metaverse video from a few years ago that made the rounds yesterday. But I thought it was just kind of a perfect encapsulation of of uh everything that was wrong well not everything was wrong with it there's so many things wrong with it but many things that are wrong with the metaverse uh you know i don't actually have a stake i'm not trying to position myself i just despise it Uh, (laughs) so this is just a very natural hatred
2: we should also quickly explain too for our blessed listeners that did not watch the walmart video which i believe predated like it's not the it wasn't that new it turned out in the end like it did i think it came out a couple years ago but Uh, Just like a quick recap of it from my memory was that it sort of imagined a world where you could virtually go to some sort of a grocery store or a Walmart uh, and, you know, you would have some virtual guy that would tell you to like buy wine that would be paired with your meal. And then, you know, quick cut to, by the way, your car is going to be serviced, which I don't understand how that happens in the metaverse. Basically would like run you through different shopping experiences that would happen virtually, but it was just like very prosaic and mundane but yeah the point of that video and i'm imagining phil your reaction to it was that there didn't seem like there was any advantage to it it really just like brought all the things that we probably would love to leave behind uh, about the in-person shopping experience and just ported it to the virtual world but claimed that it was futuristic and better is that more or less i think
1: so i think there's there's sort of two parts there's the 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 part of me that just hates uh the metaverse because depending on what you define as it it's kind of a squishy word but the concepts that are currently being talked about are just so fundamentally non-creative. Uh, you know, the, right. You're know, right, that video turned out to be from 2017. It doesn't matter, because it literally could have been made any time in the past 20 years. Uh, like, the technology was available 20 years ago to make exactly that. There was demos exactly like that in VR from 20 years ago. where it could have been yesterday. Uh, it hasn't advanced. It's stale. It's skeuomorphic. It's stupid. No one wants it. It's worse in every way from actual reality. It is a gloss that... Uncreative people and companies put over found fundamentally a lack of good ideas. So there's like the part that is just like it's just lame. That's why I don't. That's why I hate it. But then there's the part that like, oh, but if any of this actually moves forward, it could be super destructive as well. So there's like I guess there's a part of me that hates it and there's a part of me that fears it. Um, But since I think it's so spectacularly stupid, <laughs> that there's actually not that
2: much to fear.
3: I mean, can you talk a little bit about the part that you think could be destructive? Because I have my own just national security type um, reasons for thinking that, but I'm very curious about yours.
1: I think it's kind of bad that um, we don't have a shared reality anymore, or that, or that our shared reality or, or even like our shared like epistemic infrastructure, like the way that we understand things, like we can't even agree on how we go about understanding something. And I think anything that, that kind of pulls us further apart from a shared reality is, just, is really damaging. And, you know, Facebook um, started doing this way before the metaverse, just core Facebook. Like the whole the Facebook lie that, you know, oh, we just connect people. is never true. Facebook doesn't connect people. Facebook connects you to your own prejudices and opinions. Uh, and it, it says, well, okay, your community is people who agree with you. And that's not connecting you with people. That's reinforcing your own beliefs. Uh, it's actually f- driving you further away from people. The whole point of an actual community is you've got to be people with all sorts of different viewpoints that you, you know, that you are in community with. Um, so I think like just good old fashioned Facebook has made that problem worse, and not just Facebook. I mean, social media in general, um, and the metaverse is just like taking that to an extreme. The idea that you would like substitute a significant portion of actual shared reality with something where you can choose you know who you're with in an in an almost quasi real way it just feels feels like it's just going to make every problem we have worse and none of the problems better.
0: But it, but isn't the metaverse trying to bridge all these different digital worlds like right now we're in I mean it I mean it's such an abstract idea arguing about it can be hard but like in some ways it's it's meant to interconnect them so people would be sharing sort of a real a digital reality you know i i think
1: it isn't so much about connecting uh digital worlds which for the most part don't need a whole lot of connecting like i i I don't know i didn't wake up today being like you know what i really wish is that like i really wish that the various digital places that i spent time in were somehow more connected like i never thought that and i know there's like a theoretical oh but if you spend all this money on a virtual Vorpal plus three sword don't you want to take that from game to game you know what um No, I don't. How about that? I don't. I don't care. Do you play a lot of video games? I do play a lot of video games. And I've played a lot of video games for a very long time. And I actually don't care. No, I don't don't care to take my plus three Vorpal Sword from one game to the other. It's not that big a deal to me. In fact, I kind of think it's going to ruin a lot of games. Because then games are going to be more about property and more like the real world. And like the real world and property isn't actually that much fun most of the time. And games are supposed to be fun. So like, I don't even buy that. A, I think it's going to lead to weaker game design and just all sorts of like nonsense. But 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 put that aside, like okay, yeah, it's connecting digital worlds. Do they need connecting? Are they already not connected? Um I, I'm just not buying it. But what it is doing is pulling us further away from the real world, from the actual non-matrix reality of like your sidewalk and your neighborhood. And that's bad. Like we've already retreated from that. To, to a large extent, I, the last thing I, uh, I want to do is from further. And of course, on top of that, the fact that like if this whole like metaverse, you know, because the metaverse pulls into it like one, you know, nonsense piece of hype pulls into it every other nonsense piece of hype. So if you then, you know, say, OK, what it's actually, no, it's about property with NFTs and Web3 and something, something. Now you're talking about stuff that, OK, I don't actually want to bring my plus three warple sword from one game to the other. I also don't like the fact that even like attempting to do it if it's done with NFTs or things like that is just like staggeringly environmentally unfriendly and it'll probably be you know destroy the actual physical planet. Like when you when you burn energy in the metaverse, it burns energy for real. Like it burns actual non-metaverse rainforest to do it. And uh, that sucks. Um so yeah, uh, you know, there's the part that I think is just like lame and no one actually wants it. Um uh, and then there's the part that says like, well, thank God it's lame and no one actually wants it because it's actually pretty bad if people did want it. The good news is there's this great, like there's a thing that, 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 that is already like a, a non-starter, which is VR. So n- everything I've said right now has nothing to do with, with, with just VR. VR is like the thing that, that, that actually guarantees that none of this will ever take off because <laughs> no one, no one, no one, no one wants to spend any amount of time with a, Plastic things strapped to their face. They just don't
0: want to do it. And your claim is that, like, we'll, we'll have a definitive answer on this pretty soon because the resolutions will be good and that excuse will be gone. And so then it's just like, yeah, it Bullshit. sucks. Right. Bullshit. <laughs> because,
1: look, hey, I grew up, uh, I was born in the Soviet Union. It used to be the Soviet Union. Uh, a city that used to be called Leningrad, now St. Petersburg. It was a long time ago. I went to first grade in the Soviet Union. I was subjected to a lot of, you know, Soviet propaganda. And uh, I was told, as a little kid, repeatedly— Communism doesn't exist yet. You know, we haven't built communism yet. We're building towards communism, but it's not communism yet. What you see around you, this horrible, horrible place, isn't communism. That's like, we're building towards it. It's going to be great when it gets here. We're building towards it. And like, you know, you can smell a bad idea before it's like fully built. So like, I don't want to hear like, oh yeah, the metaverse doesn't exist yet. No, no, no. All this stuff, all this, like, stupid, useless, crappy stuff that exists right now, that, that's not the metaverse. Like, the metaverse is coming. It's coming.
0: But, but you know, Chris, Chris Dixon and Balaji, you know, they're just, like, tweeting out old headlines of people who were naysayers about the, the internet, and now they look stupid because the yeah, internet, well, you know. find
1: find me some headlines where I was a naysayer about the internet or anything <laughs> else other than obvious bullshit like this.
2: So if I could boil down your argument, because, I, 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 you know, the environmental impact stuff aside, and maybe we can dig into that for a bit, but if I had to boil down your argument just vis-a-vis gaming, which I think has always been Eric's argument as to why this thing actually is fun and good and already exists to some extent, is that for you, as a, what's, what what game are you into right now, by the way? What are you playing?
1: Oh, man, I, I kind of go back and forth so much. I'm, I'm not proud of this, but it just a couple of weeks ago, got back into Minecraft after like a 10-year absence, just because... I, 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 okay. A few friends of mine were saying how much right. new stuff had changed.
3: I, every everything old is new again. Right,
1: you've aged back into Minecraft. Yeah, I love people that. are yeah, using exactly. wired
3: headphones again. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. But before that, I was I was I was spending a lot of time with Oxygen Not Included, uh, which is basically like a bathroom simulator. Uh, if you're like, if you think if you think it's not interesting, like figuring out your like plumbing and toilet situation in the space station, you're you're so wrong. Mm. So Man. it's so entertaining.
2: Mm. See, now this is an argument in favor of the metaverse, in my opinion but uh so but your your point is that like the, the gaming experience especially like a networked you know mm rpg is that you are that's a the ver- that, that's an escape for you that's something that you play as, as leisure that you wouldn't want to extend your experience of playing a game networking with other individuals to a non-gaming environment that basically leave it there it has its value for that but you know bringing your plus three vorpal sword or any other thing that you do to gaming to what could be called as zuck would say a lived experience Uh, is not beneficial and doesn't appeal to you at all, right? I mean, hard to even know where to start. I mean, that's certainly a part of it, right? Uh, uh, Another part
1: of it is if you say, this is a classic, I think, technique that people who are arguing for for dumb things use, which is you just redefine it to include existing things that are actually pretty good. So people would be like, oh, Fortnite, (laughs) that's already the metaverse. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Fortnite, Right. It existed well before we had this like blah, 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 metaverse hype, as sort of Minecraft, sort of World of Warcraft. I spent a lot of time, a lot of time in the early days of World of Warcraft. In fact, when we were starting Evernote, me and Dave, our CTO, we both spent a lot of time playing World of Warcraft before Evernote. We were working together. In the beginning of Evernote, we got together and we said, all right, we can either play this game or we can play that game. Like We can either play World of Warcraft, or we can play Evernote. And so we had like a ceremony where we
2: ritually deleted our World of Warcraft accounts because we realized <laughs> that we just weren't going to be able to do both. So you can be like, oh, but World of Warcraft was just a metaverse. It's like reporters deleting the Twitter app off their phone. It doesn't do anything.
1: Yeah, but no, no, it wasn't. Like, that's not the metaverse. The reason that everyone plays uh, Fortnite is that it's fun. And it's not that you don't play Fortnite in VR because no one's written a VR version of Fortnite. I'm sure those exist. It just sucks. It's just not
3: fun. Having work conferences in the metaverse is not going to be fun.
0: Oh, my God. So terrible. So that point, I mean, you run a work app, right? And so part of the debate... I mean, there's the gaming part, which we've sort of talked around and and you know, yeah. I, I somewhat disagree. I mean, I like a PlayStation 4 operating system or whatever, you know, isn't a fun it would be more fun to walk into the game world, like a Mario 64 sort of thing, go to different anyway, but that that sort of gaming, you know, there is a different vision. But I, I think business to me is almost the stronger case. Because like this podcast, we're deciding to do it remote because the people that I'd want to work with are remote so it's not an alternative of let's do it in the real world because clearly that's that's not the case there you run a video app
3: problematically eric i wouldn't want to see you more in the metaverse and i want to see you on zoom it's the same that's so it's like this is already such a convenient way to do it why the fuck would i want to meet you in the metaverse well that's the question
0: that's sort of the question Couldn't the metaverse be better? Right, but that's
2: Phil's argument of like you're just redefining the thing that already exists as the metaverse and claiming, see, you've already done it when that's not the promise. Well, Phil,
0: have you played around with Gather? Like, I mean, Gather is sort of, you know, another Sequoia-backed company that's sort of video chat and collaboration in a metaverse. What what's your view on that? I played around with a bunch of the of the yeah.
1: of the, the Oculus based ones. You know the the Facebook stuff, Horizons or whatever. The other Facebook thing that they just invited me to a beta to, which I I I, I zoomed in and there was a bunch of people like complaining about something right away. <laughs> And so, like, I immediately tried to commit suicide by jumping off a cliff, but it wouldn't let me. <laughs> right. Out, out, out.
3: Fun. Yeah. So yeah. fun.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, the first thing I did is I ran to the side of the cliff and jumped off, and then I just respawned next to the whining people again. So, like, you can't, like, there's not even a suicide option. Oh,
2: that's hell. That is literal hell. It was hell. That yeah. hell
1: is other people in the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't, do not want. Um, <laughs> like, I am very happy talking to people um, asynchronously. Or synchronously online. In fact, that is that is what our product does, right? That's what Inhum mm-hmm does. It lets you decide what kind of things should be on recorded video, what kind of things should be on live video, what kind of things should be in person. Move elegantly back and forth between those. That's super powerful. Our companies are fully distributed. I've never met in person half the people I work with, but we're super productive. Like that's all great. A thing that I under no circumstances want is to interact with people while wearing a sweaty thing on my face that obscures my vision, watching. Th- Randomly skeuomorphic three D legless avatars of myself and them walking around. Do Do
0: you think like it's if it's if it's a two D app like I mean the Gather one I was bringing up where it's almost like Stardew Valley or something like Do you think that? it's the definition of the metaverse or you're restricting your well i think
1: that's a good question right if zoom
0: is the metaverse then the metaverse is wildly successful (laughs) i feel like zoom's not the metaverse because it's not persistent like you wouldn't leave it on. people don't leave it on all day like it's not that it needs to be vr it's that it needs to be persistent sort of for long spans of the day okay so
1: so so a, a, a persistent 2d thing
0: where you know you can look and
1: talk to other people like yeah i mean i guess Sure, there's there's some version of Slack and Figma and Zoom,
3: but wasn't that Second Life? And
1: Second Life, and like, but the,
3: like this is this is
1: this this is the weaselly redefinition of it,
3: right?
2: I'd say It's a very Facebook thing to do. I remember from covering Watch, Facebook Watch, if you remember that whole thing, which I, I would argue was a failure until they redefined what Watch was. and They're like, actually, Watch is any video you watch on Facebook. And they shunneled it through the thing. They're like, oh, actually, people are watching billions of videos on Watch. And so I kind of feel like what you're describing is the same thing with the metaverse is like with lack of uptake as things come out, they'll decide, well, actually, it was Zoom the whole time. So we already love it.
3: <laughs> it was Zoom the whole time is like the name of my nightmare. <laughs>
2: That's what they tell you when you die. Are people going to speak
1: electronically in geographically distributed ways constantly using all sorts of devices? Of course. If you want to claim that that's the metaverse, great. The metaverse is super successful. Right. Uh, If you want to say the metaverse includes, you know, VR, 3D, skeuomorphic representations of yourself, NFTs, then no, it's never going to be a thing because it's
0: a pile of bullshit. I feel like we often want to say, oh, there was like a core innovation that made this happen. but like vine existed before tiktok sometimes it is just like an accumulation of useful features that like flip something over the edge so yeah. and notepad existed before evernote right, right right like the metaverse it's like you guys talk about world of warcraft second life it's like no one's saying those aren't precursors but it's just like there wasn't a true market for goods so that could be new there wasn't like a better devices to sort of stay in it you know there, there are a lot of like I don't think the piecemeal part of this is a case against the metaverse. It could, the argument for the metaverse is that there will be lots of different things that are coming together at once that make it better than it would have been possible before. Yeah.
1: And I guess I'm not arguing against the metaverse. I mean, sure. I've just spent the past however many minutes arguing against the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think, I don't think it's going to lead to anything useful, which I mean, I'll be super happy to say that I'm wrong.
3: Or, or lead to anything fun. That's the issue. Like, it's not going to be compelling. You could be there 24 hours a day, but why would you?
1: Tell me, you know, let's, how about this? Anyone who's a, who's, a, who's a metaverse booster, what I'd want to know is purely, like, look, there's always a very strong possibility that I'm wrong. That is a very useful thing to keep in mind. I say stuff all the time. There's a very strong chance at any given time that I'm just flat out wrong about something. I don't mind being wrong. I actually have trained myself to kind of like it. And it's actually kind of a superpower. Um, so let's just agree on what, what are you going to have to show me in a year or in two years that'll make me be like, yep, I was wrong. This metaverse thing totally took off. Like what, what will be, what will have to happen measurably? And, and please don't measure it in terms of hypey things because like hype itself is, is like a, is a, is a, is a derivative of whether something succeeded or not. it, it it's not actually a measure of that success. Right, so right. hype aside, I don't want to know about hype. And I don't want to know about, like, the value of any particular cryptocurrency, because, again, that value is speculative. Tell me, like, what conditions will exist in the world 12 months from now or 24 months from now, or whenever you think is the right time frame, that you'll be like... Look, this is the metaverse, and, and here's all these people who are spending time in it and liking it and or, and or getting value out of it.
3: Well, I think it's the here's all these people who are spending time in it. That's the only metrics of are people spending time in it. But in,
1: in what? Like with a VR headset or, or is it like is, is looking at a monitor OK? Just like let's define mm-hmm. what the terms are.
2: Well, what about the what about the success of I mean, what appeared to be a big. Christmas or holiday present was Oculus headsets, and yeah, you know there were a lot of people at least downloading the app, which makes me assume that they sold a bunch of these things. I mean, I mean, I bought one. Yeah, and do you like it? Look, I have a, I am actually one of the ways that I'm most likely to die is to
1: be crushed to death in an avalanche that I have in my closet of unused VR headsets. <laughs> okay, I have a closet in my house. If I open it, I have to open it very carefully because I've bought every single piece of VR equipment that's ever come out. I'm a nerd, literally for the past thirty years. I think I've bought every single one. And what's your review of the quest, too? Yeah, my my experience is always the same. For the first couple of days, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. It's really impressive. Oh, this is really neat. By day three, uh, it's no longer interesting to me, but it stays out. It stays next to my TV or whatever in the living room for the next couple of weeks because my use case shifts from, oh, it's novel to me, to when my friends come over and make them wear it because it makes them look stupid. And I videotape that and then we all laugh. That's the second use case. Two weeks later, it's not that much. That's not that funny anymore. It goes into the closet. That's been the case every couple of years for the past twenty or thirty years. Same thing with this one. I, I have the new Oculus. Yeah, it's impressive. I have a couple of favorite games that I really like. Yeah, and you know, and I, and I used it for a few days, really myself, and then I showed it to other people, and then it went into the closet. And that's that's what all these things are going to do. And,
3: and I think hardware sales are are hype and fad too. Like Snapchat Spectacles, like there are all sorts of things where you can look at the sale of hardware and then see it not really stick around. So all of the connected home devices. Some stuck, but some did not. Right. Amazon Echoes, right? I mean, they they sold a shit
2: ton of these things and I have two in my house, but they haven't changed my life. They haven't introduced me to a metaverse or something. You know, back when I was a VC, uh, my biggest
1: epiphany, my biggest breakthrough that made me decent at my job came when I realized that there's a difference between products that I would buy and companies that I should invest in. Uh, Because it turns out that my bar for buying something is actually really, really low. Especially if it's a tech thing, if it's got blinking <laughs> lights on it and buttons, I'm I'm buying it. It's fine. I'll buy it. And, and at first, I was confused because I'm like, just because I would buy it, maybe means I should write a big check to invest in it. But then I realized, like, nope, nope, big difference there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, th- I think you're right. I think like hardware sales is not a thing. Activity is. So can we say, for example, like would a metaverse uh, a proponent say that in 12 months, so in January of 2023, people will spend 10 percent? As many minutes per day in VR, wearing a VR headset as they do on their phone. Ten percent. Mm-hmm. Like something like that. Is that is that acceptable? Because I think no, no, absolutely no way. I think it's gonna be zero. Yeah.
3: So the people I know who are the biggest boosters of the metaverse, especially on the financial side, the people investing, here's what I see they did on their holidays. They got right. on planes, they went to Crete, they went to the south of France, they went to ski. They physically skied. They spent money in stores. They had parties with their friends. None of them spent any time in the metaverse during their breaks, or really, as far as I can tell, any time whatsoever. So these are the people who are the biggest boosters of the metaverse. And when I look and see what they do for fun, it's never in the metaverse.
1: There's another, I think that's exactly right. And there's another thing here, which is I hear a lot of people saying, yeah, the current stuff sucks, but that's because it's not ready yet. That's actually never been the case of successful technology. Killer app, right? You got to wait for the killer app. But like, but that's never been the case, right? Like, like uh, I was playing video games since, you know, Atari 2600.
3: Atari 2600 games sucked. Very janky.
1: <laughs> but they were great. They were great. You could tell they were great.
3: And we, we were on Facebook when it was barely functioning, too. Yeah. And it was definitely clearly going to be something people used.
1: I ordered my first order from Amazon in something like 1998, I think. Like... It was, it was in the late 90s because they still have it. Miraculously enough, like Amazon still like has my first order in my account. And yeah, it was the late 90s. I ordered a couple of books. It was the first time I ever bought anything online. It was my first e-commerce experience. It was sometime in the late 90s. I bought a couple of books, two books by James Randi. And it was super primitive. Like that Amazon website, it was like all text-based. It was like blink tags. It was like, you know, we look at it now, like it's, it's pathetic, but like it was a, it was very primitive, but it was an amazing experience. I could tell immediately that this was good. Oh my God, I just bought something on a computer and it's going to show up for real. And like, and I didn't have to go to a store and the selection of books, even back then, the selection of books was so much bigger than like, you know, the Barnes and Noble down the street. So like things don't start terrible and then become good. Things start great and then become like smoother, more advanced. So anyone who's like, yeah, yeah, the metaverse, like it sucks now because it's not advanced enough. Bullshit. It sucks because it's stupid and it's always going to suck.
2: I I wonder, Katie, as you were explaining sort of what your, you know, rich uh, uh, friends or or people that you know that are investing in the metaverse but live very elaborate and lavish in real life lives.
3: Completely in real life, never on the meta, Yep. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) I wonder how much, and like, Phil, you would know this as an investor, how much of like the energy behind the metaverse is wealthy people thinking, look, I can do these things because I'm wealthy. I can go to Mallorca. I can go to, you know, a, a private concert somewhere. I can live the life of an Instagram influencer. But the rest of these rubes, they can't do that. They don't have the money to. But what if we invented a world where they could virtually experience some of these things? Because, you know, it seems to me a good amount of, investment is sort of guessing what the rubes want to do right what are these regular yeah. people not me what are they going to do and so do you think part of what the the kinetic or, or, or potential energy turning into kinetic investment uh, in the metaverse is a guess of saying like look the rest of these people can't experience this life but they want to and so maybe we can allow them to have it through some sort of metaverse i mean it's purely cynical but well if
3: that's the case i think that i mean sh- if if that is the reason why So when I lived in Namibia, I remember talking to people who were building houses for people who did not have a lot of money, right? You know, apartheid had just ended there, and they were trying to create homes. And they were being criticized for creating actually kind of nice homes with, like, running water and toilets. And people who were wealthy were saying, why don't you build a tin shack and house everyone? because that's what a wealthy person who already has a nice house who doesn't care who has no empathy might think well i can have a nice house with running water and a toilet but this guy had no house so he should be totally satisfied with a tin shack and what this group of people was trying to explain was that actually doesn't make people happy. And the fact that you think that an extraordinarily subpar experience of your life will make people happy is why you're going to have big problems down the road. And they were absolutely right. So if people who have the means to have real, genuine, in-person encounters with people who they love and care about believe that a completely virtual, non-physical, non-physical experience for somebody who doesn't have money is going to completely satisfy them right. or even satisfy them enough that they don't want to rise up and 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 murder them. <laughs> they right. are wrong. Yeah. Because otherwise we would be happy living in tin shacks while other people with means ran around with like plumbing.
1: What do you think, Phil? I think I mean I think if you've got enough money to experience the metaverse, you've got more than enough money to have you know, art and nature and quiet time and a nice place to be. And I would much rather invest in things that that, that did that. I'd much rather invest in things that meant, that made actual, physical, real world, high quality of life accessible to more people rather than some weird, dystopian, ready-player-one scenario where it's literally there to as an escape. Right. Uh, I just think it's bad. I mean, look, this these ideas, right, the, the metaverse ideas, at least the way that, that Facebook talks about it, right, the way that Mark Zuckerberg presents the metaverse is the least creative thing I've ever heard. It's literally rewarmed 40-year-old ideas that just haven't changed, lifted directly from dystopian sci-fi. Directly, <laughs> not even, like, right. no modification. The term itself. Exactly. without Without the question of, like, oh, why is it that every single piece of sci-fi that these appear in that we're just lifting from is dystopian? Right? Like these aren't utopian sci-fi's that they're lifting the metaverse from. They're they're taking, they're taking worlds that are described as being goddamn terrible, that are cautionary tales, and they're being like, we can build that. Right. It's an escape. It's an escape. It seems just entirely counterproductive. But yeah, look, look, since moving to Bentonville, I've got the best quality of life I've ever had and and, and I'm more productive than I've ever been. I've got a great work-life integration. In terms of just about everything, I'm, I'm happier and healthier and more productive than I've ever been. And a hundred percent of the people who work in my companies can afford exactly my lifestyle right now. Not everyone in the world, but um, I'm not. But in San Francisco, that was never the case. When I lived in San Francisco, I was paying like you know ten grand a month in rent or something. So my my quality of life was much lower than it is now. But Good as it was, it was only because I had the the means, much more than than the average person that worked at one of my companies. But now that's no longer really the case. Literally, one hundred percent of my employees can live and can afford to live in the house I'm currently living in because it's just not that expensive, and can go to the same museums and can belong to the same clubs. It's possible to have a really great quality of life. This
0: is my point, though. It's sort of the time you're replacing with the metaverse is the time you're working remote with all. Your employees or the time you're playing video games already, not not the time you're enjoying outside. I feel like that is like a hard bar. That's not
3: the way it's pitched, though. But that's not the way it's pitched. The way it's pitched is not what we're replacing Zoom.
0: Zuck was talking about
2: going to concerts.
0: But there are companies pitching it that way. There are, I mean, it's, yes, you're, yes, I agree. I just, I, I don't buy the Facebook vision of it. I think we're all like in agreement there. I'm not super bullish on VR. So maybe I'm not the right person to pitch the metaverse. But I do think. Replacing work with like avatars and having a more persistent sort of office online, that makes sense to me. Having sort of a more bridged existence in video game world, that makes sense to me. And and I, I think with Fortnite earlier, you're way downplaying the novelty of people. People started playing Fortnite for, you know, the game and similarly like Minecraft, but then you can have a concert in Fortnite and the idea that you would yeah. really redirect sort of what type of energy you're doing in this space. That's cool and novel. And I think the people's openness to do that is a driver. And then lastly, of course, sort of all the financial interest in using these sort of decentralized Web3 things that people have and wanting to see them recognized in other places, I think just creates heat to create more of a bridged experience because people want to see the things they've invested in have some value in a different context. That that's how I sort of see it.
1: Yeah, I think that's an that's a, that's an articulate, uh, much more articulate than you get from Facebook uh, description of that vision. I I, I still don't think it's going to be turn out to be true, <laughs> but you know, let's see, let's hopefully I'm wrong, right? Look, I I would be much happier if a year from now, the, or two years from now, the metaverse was a thing that actually gave people you know joy and pleasure and value. Of course, I want that in the world. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be pretty dystopian. Well, I don't think it's going to get to dystopian because I don't think anyone's going to use it.
3: How did, how did you choose Bentonville out of curiosity? Like, why why Bentonville? That You could have moved anywhere else in the country that had a low cost of living.
1: We're almost at random. I didn't intend to stay here, basically. We had a friend uh, who had moved to Bentonville uh, a couple of months before we did for a job at Walmart, which is the main reason that people moved to Bentonville. Uh, and uh, we were just looking for a quiet place for a few months, kind of figuring, you know, we went fully distributed uh, with the companies. We kind of said we'd work from anywhere. So, you well, know, let's try. Let's try a few different places. And really we just wanted a quiet place with a backyard and some trees that, you know, I can sit during during lockdown, uh, as so I wasn't inside of my apartment. Uh thought we would, you know, stay a few months and see, but then we just kind of fell in love with it because it's a it's a pretty spectacular place. Um but really the 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 thing is and it's not about being in a particular place, it's about having this we we call it this like uh um out of office uh uh loop. Uh the out of office loop is is, is it's this virtuous cycle. It, it, it kind of works like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, your audio <laughs> listeners can't can't see it.
0: We just got we just got a graphic uh, appear.
1: Yeah, yeah every, there, there, there's up.
3: a PowerPoint portion of this podcast. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But the, but the the main idea is like it's it's that you know quality of life improves quality of work, and quality of work improves quality of life for knowledge workers for creative people. So if you if you if you give yourself an, an opportunity to improve your quality of life. You figure out, okay, here's where I want to work. You get rid of all the horrible things like commuting. You just, you know, you get a nicer place to live. You get nature, you get art. You, you, you work on improving your quality of life for creative people, for knowledge workers that that leads to directly higher quality of work. And then when you have higher quality of work, that leads to more meaning, more satisfaction, more money. Uh, and then you can turn that money into further improving quality of life. So it's, it's, it's a flywheel. You get this positive flywheel of improved quality of life, improves quality of work, improves quality of life, improves quality of work. This is a virtuous cycle. Once it gets going, it's super powerful. And we got to find ways, we got to find the things that block it, that block this flywheel from ever getting going and, and, and really try to get rid of them. One of the main ones that we used to have is like everyone having to commute in horrible times to be at the office and having work be such a separate thing from life and whatever. We've done that. We've done that successfully. We didn't need VR to do that. We did that with with you know, video, with, with Slack, with Figma, with, with stuff like that. Um, the question is, like, is having a thing strapped to your face help that cycle or not? Does it help improve? Does, does it improve your actual quality of life? Because then that will improve your quality of work, which will then improve your quality of life. Or does it give you an escape from your actual shitty life temporarily while you're paying rent for that escape to whoever owns it, Web3 stuff aside? But it's not as virtual cycle when you're done with that, when your batteries run out when you or you can't wear it anymore because you've got a migraine now you're back in your shitty basement.
2: do you think your employees are happier being fully distributed versus working in an office? I mean, you brought up you know shitty commutes and having a portion of your life spent alone. You know, burning fossil fuels in order to get to an office being a negative. Yeah, now we could sit at home and burn fossil fuels by you know to power NFTs. Right, right. We have to make up for the loss. Um, the, the petrodollar works like that. But like, do you think that your employees are happier? Like, is this something you know that we we've improved people's quality of life? That the days of trying to build parasocial relationships with our coworkers, like the office, is is you know. Putting that uh, away and, and creating some sort of virtualized experience has made people happier. What do you think from your employees? Yeah, I think 100%. I think, um,
1: well, in general, right? I mean, employees are not, they not, it's not a monolithic force, right? It's not the same for everyone. Um, in general, uh, morale is good for companies that are succeeding and bad for companies that are failing, kind of in a macro sense, right? Like it's hard to have good morale if your company is, is treading water or failing. Uh, so that, that's kind of the first prerogative. we're We're fortunate enough that that our companies are doing are doing very well., uh, but given that, focusing on this improving quality of life, yeah, it's far better. it It gives you superpowers. Uh, lots of examples of of our employees and other people kind of talking about it. One way to think about it, though, is that it's not like we're not saying we never meet each other. we, we, we And we're certainly not saying like being distributed is not the same as working from home. Uh, I don't actually work from home that much. I'm at home right now. So uh, I work from like four or five different places, all within walking distance. If I need to be in like in a nice setup, like we're doing this podcast, I'm at home because I have a nice like home, you know, uh, studio. But just before, you know, 20 minutes before getting on camera, I was working from this, this the gym that I belong to. There's a club, there's a gym, there's a pool. I go work from there and then I go swimming in between Zoom calls. It's kind of amazing. Um, sometimes I work from a museum, from Crystal Bridges, uh, sometimes by myself, sometimes with other people. So, like, I kind of pick where I want to work from. I get far more interaction with actual professional adults than I did before. I, I have friends. I, I see people around me all the time. The fact that most of those people don't work for me is a is a big plus. Um, it turns out that, like, you can have meaningful interactions without not just with your coworkers. It's just that the, the old way of forcing everyone to commute for two hours and then sit in an office together limited your adult interactions to primarily your coworkers, which is actually pretty unnatural. And then we do get together with coworkers once in a while. We 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 kind of think of it as this like hierarchy of communication. And, and it kind of looks like this. We have another slide, listeners. Another slide. It's
0: a pyramid. Is this a Zoom feature or you're some how, what, how are you doing this? Or are you <laughs> How are you doing this? Really doing you're a this. wizard It's metaverse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is our product.
1: But you're it integrates through Zoom? Yeah, into whatever you want. You can you actually could even use it with a metaverse, but you wouldn't want it. so the idea is it's a pyramid and if you imagine at the very top of the this is a pyramid of like communication hierarchy and at the very very top like like up here this is in person so like when you're actually physically in person with multiple people you're at the top of the pyramid because this is like the ultimate non-scalable resource you can never you can never make more of this this is really, like, this is this is important. This is precious. Whenever you're, like, at the top of the pyramid, like, that's the thing that you got to make sure is precious. you got to make sure that it counts. So the only time that, like, you're doing things in person with people, it ought to be good. It ought to be good food involved. It ought to be about, you know, building trust, building relationships. You should never spend two hours in person with people and then feel like, well, that was a waste of time. Because that's a tragedy, right? Like, none of you ever get that two hours back. And we used to do this all the time, though. Like, every meeting we used to have, most of them sucked. Why would you ever... Force people in person to waste their time to have something that wasn't meaningful. So we do get together up here in the top of the pyramid, but but only when only when it really matters. In the middle of the pyramid, uh, this is this is a live video or live audio. This is kind of what we're doing right now, um, just you know with the four of us. This is not quite as scarce because you don't have to travel. Uh, but it's still pretty precious because we're doing this physically at, like literally at the same time. so it's still hard to scale this. So the only the only time that you should be doing live video like zoom is uh, when you're having a conversation like when you're actually talking, when you're taking turns talking if like one person is moving their face hole a lot but no one else is, like that's not a conversation that's a lecture. something has gone wrong, it shouldn't be live. but you know a back and forth this is this is good and then everything else ought to be uh, in the base, which is which is recorded video. So anytime that there's like an information update or anything like that, we actually record those. We send those around. And it, it turns out it's about 80% of what we, of, of my communication now is, is recorded hmm. and so, super efficient. People can watch it at faster than real time. They can watch it when they want to. Time zones don't matter. They can rewind. They don't have to take notes. They have, they have the slides and materials ready. It's just perfect. About 15% is live interactive, like live on video. And about 5% is in person. And every time it's in person with a company, we bring people together, you know, we, we, we meet in small groups and big groups, about 5% of the time. And, uh, and, and, and 100% of the time when we do that, we're having good meals, we're, we're in amazing places. So we kind of live and die in Figma. And, and Figma obviously wasn't designed for this reality, but now I think they're, they're, they're really smart uh, about this. And so if, like so many of the things that we used to do. Kind of in person, we've we've moved to Figma and 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 it's become really good. Now we've had to like rethink about it, and, and we're using Figma in kind of unnatural ways. So at some point, like either Figma or somebody else should like make a custom build <laughs> thing, you know, for this. But 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 we use it, you know, a, 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 a ton. Uh, you know, we use Slack a ton. Although I don't know that like, I, 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 like I'm kind of indifferent towards Slack. It's like I think I, we use out of necessity. We found pretty good ways to be productive with it. Uh, but it's at this point doesn't feel you know novel or particularly fun. Have you had
0: a, a workplace revolt on Slack yet? Or?
3: Oh, you haven't lived until you have. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: I, I, I might have. I, I actually don't look at my <laughs> Slack very often, so it's, it's a, well. If it hasn't been leaked to the press, then it didn't really happen. So.
1: <laughs> but but actually, I mean that's an interesting that's another interesting comment, right? Which is like this whole thing is is changing. What is the relationship between the employee and the company, and like what what is a company and the company can't get you, can't give you all of the things that it used to. For example, like I, I think the, the the lowest point of this was, let's say, like the Google campus, like the Mountain View Google campus in 2012. Let's just say, like if you were a Google employee in 2012 at Mountain View, 100 percent of all of your like financial, professional, personal, social, romantic, political, like all your needs were met <laughs> like at that campus. Like that's sure. where you went, that's where you <laughs> slept, that's where you did your laundry, that's where you had all your meals, that's your, that's where you went out on dates. That was everything. That's when you organized politically. And that was like really demented. That was a demented dysfunctional system. This is not the way that adults are supposed to function. And on the one hand, it seems like, oh, look how nice of the company it is to provide all this stuff. On the other hand, it's like, yeah, but you're giving up your entire life. Um, you're giving up the very center of your life uh, to this. It's not the case anymore. So like we, like all turtles and mm-hmm, we can't provide for all of your social need. We can't be all of your friends, because we don't see each other in person. You kind of have to have friends outside of work, but you're also not spending three hours a day on average commuting. You also don't have this like thing in the center of your life. You have many more, much more opportunity, many more times to have like actual friends that you don't work with. So I think there is this like decoupling as part of this about like, what is the implicit
2: understanding between between the company and the people, especially for, you know, for distributed teams. Can I ask, what has this done? What is this done for employee attrition and turnover? Because this, a, a lot of what you're talking about and the thing that I've been really fascinated by in the last year is the future of the company mission, which very much grew out of the Google 2012 era, which is that we're not only a company, we are a worldview. Yep. And we need to ally our employees behind an idea that they not only agree with as a way to make money, but also that provides them spiritual fulfillment. And, um, you know, if that is going to be weakened in an asynchronous or decentralized model, I mean, are you guys losing employees? Like if you, you know, do you have a company mission that you think is keeping people around? Like what's, what, what's that looking like? I mean, I
1: think that a lot of that, you know, didn't, never worked particularly well to begin with, right? A lot of those, those visions and missions turned out to be pretty shallow and didn't actually survive first contact with a conflict of interest <laughs> with the business model. <laughs>
0: totally. Right. Uh, we no, we, we want to sell to the defense department. We like it. <laughs>
1: made it made it harder harder to report. <laughs> a, lo- a lot of those corporate corporate values like turned out that as soon as there was the slightest little difference between like the the stated values and the money, it turns out that the values were the money. Right. Um, so I don't think it worked all that well in 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 uh, uh, to begin with. Uh, and and to immediately answer your question, we've had basically no attrition. Uh, very little. But it's very early days. We're only a year and a half old. Uh, But everyone says, oh, it's impossible to hire people and it's impossible to keep people. Like we've hired, I don't know, 120 people without ever meeting them in person before we hired them this year. It's great. I think something like two have left. Um, Again, early days, companies growing, companies, you know, is perceived as being successful. Like I've lived through lots of ups and down cycles of those with other companies. So I know that that's not a thing that lasts forever. But I think the clarity, like we very much are a worldview we very much have a mission our mission is to make this out of office world this out of office world for as many people as possible so that so that they can improve their quality of lives and therefore improve quality of work and therefore improve quality of lives and we and we 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 live that with our policies and the way that we structure things and a big part of that is that we can't provide everything but a big part of it is we have to give you the money and the resources and the advice and best practices so that everyone can kind of structure their, their right. best lives. And the mission is the product. I mean, that's it, it, there's, there's an alignment. And there. the mission is the product, and the product is the right. mission. And, right. you know, we say things like, um, you know, people ask like, well, but like, do you pay people differently if they move out of an expensive area like San Francisco? Like, no, because I moved out of San Francisco to a cheaper area and I didn't feel like taking a pay cut. I'm not going to ask anyone else to do it. And frankly, I think it's kind of insulting. What you get paid ought to be based on how much you contribute to the company, and not where you live. And we ought to trust that people can make decisions about where they want to live and have that virtuous cycle going. And so, no. So we have a we have one scale. We pay everyone, you know, basically a you know a common scale that's 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 targeted, that's aimed at the more expensive areas. And if you choose to live in a cheaper area.
0: Great. Are you talking about mm-hmm, mostly, our all Turtles, or can you just explain to us like how you are those basically the same entity, or they're totally separate, or yeah, just what's the relationship?
1: Yeah, That's a good question. So all Turtles is a product studio that we created about five years ago, and we try to work on meaningful products with as little bullshit as possible. And sometimes those products spin out, and sometimes they start as independent companies. So we 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 have I don't know nine or ten different projects uh, mm-hmm, started in All Turtles and then spun out of it. So it's two different companies. Um with you know uh mm-hmm was kind of born inside of all turtles, but now there's an there's an arm's length relationship between them. But but the, in terms of policies and all that stuff, they're 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 pretty uh pretty synchronized. So it's all they're they're both fully distributed, they both have the same kind of benefit structure, same kind of comp structure.
0: And there are way more employees at mm-hmm than all turtles, or how many people um, work? yeah, I think total yeah, I think like the number of humans
1: working on mm-hmm right now is something like 110. And working at Old Turtles is, I don't know, something like 80. Uh, but there's some overlap because there's a bunch of Old Turtles people that still do some stuff for, for mm-hmm. So I think like mm-hmm. I think like total, like if you were, like if you just added both companies up and deduped it and didn't count people twice, I think you probably like 150, 160 or something like that. And But growing really fast. We gave up our offices for Old Turtles. Uh, mm-hmm never had an office because we were born after the pandemic started. Uh, but we gave up all of our offices immediately. And by May of 2020, maybe even April, basically like two months in, we told everyone, this is permanent. We're not going back to the office. You will not be called back to an office. We're not going to change your salary based on where you live. Move wherever you want to. This is the, the new reality. We gave people that, that
0: confidence. God, that's great. So many employees are in denial constantly about when they're going Still. Back. Still there's still companies who are fucking around with this. Oh, maybe we'll do three days a week starting
1: in January. Oh, no, we meant March. That feels so inhumane. How can you do that to people?
2: Like, how can you keep people, like, in suspense on, like, this central thing well they want to do it as soon as possible like i think if they could you know healthily and safely do it tomorrow they would do it i think they view it as existential and they, and
1: they would lose half their employees at that point
2: right right i mean that's why it's a fight every time i wrote a ton about this with uber yeah. you know it's the biggest employer in san francisco or one of the biggest and they're dying to get people to go back to their you know new uh, mission bay offices that they just leased yeah. but or opened up but they can't do it it's they've been more or less abandoned from the you know from day one and so we just we just said we we're never going to do it. And so when we interview people,
1: one of the first things I say is like, "Hey, um, do you want to go back to an office?" Because that's never going to happen in this job. And you know, like a, there's a lot of that is self selection. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we we tend to get pretty motivated people who are like who like the idea that we're not going to we're not going to yank them around back and right. forth and force them to commute. We have um, when we gave up our offices, um, started saving a lot of money because you know we used to pay a lot for rent and snacks, and coffee, and security. Especially in San Francisco, we paid a lot mm-hmm. for security. Didn't do much good, but we paid a lot for it. Uh, and then we gave up the offices, but we figured, well, we have to spend all this money because we have an obligation as a company to make sure that our employees have a healthy and productive work environment. But we still have that obligation, even though everyone's fully distributed. We didn't give up our obligation, we just gave up the office. So we, we took the money that we were spending on facilities and we said, okay, now we have a distributed facilities. So we give we basically give everyone that, that, that budget. So we give it, it's uh, 800 bucks a month right now. Uh, everyone gets 800 bucks a month added to their pay uh, check, and it's for distributed facilities. You can use it for whatever you want. You're intended to use it to make your work environment healthy and productive. So if you want to use that to, you know, join a gym or a club or buy bigger monitors or get a bigger apartment, I mean, 800 bucks a month is, you know, is decent month after month.
3: It's significant. Yeah,
1: and and we don't, we don't you don't have to you don't have to provide receipts. Like we, we have also, we people tell each other what they're using it for, like as best practices. Oh, did you think about this? Did you think about that? But no verification, no receipts. We trust you. We didn't trust you. If we didn't trust you to spend the money correctly. Why would we hire you? Why would we keep you employed? <laughs> You're an adult. We trust you. Eight hundred bucks a month is what it used to cost us to you know to to fulfill our obligations. We didn't walk away from our obligations. We just walked away from the offices. We still have that. So then you you, you do that. And then you ask people, well, you know, would you like to have the option of having an office that, you know, two days a week that you can come into only if you want to? And people people would be like, mm, yeah, that sounds nice. Maybe I would like an option for the office to be open two days a week. But then if you say, do you want that or do you want 800 bucks a month? Because if we're going to keep an office open for two weeks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. It's a trick question. <laughs> right. Well, and that's how, yeah, then you're actually incentivizing them to be an ac- economic actor, you know, like what is your, how would you prioritize things?
3: Yeah. You know, Phil, I, I think one of the things that you've described is your company and also the pandemic, there are all these factors that have dismantled one of the big appeals of working in the tech industry, which was to be part of a company that provided everything for you, your work life, your social life, essentially everything but the place that you slept. And that is one of, like, when I think about the tech industry from like 2012 until basically the pandemic, that was one of the main draws. And that part of the tech culture is starting to disintegrate. Can you think of another part of sort of what we think of as the overall tech industry culture that you feel is also starting to break down in a similar way? Because these were things that were starting to seep out into um, popular culture, into non-tech life. I remember when WeWork was going to build apartments and it was going to be we live. Like, how, what other ways is tech starting to kind of like loosen its grasp on the broader culture that could be healthy? Cause I think this is a fascinating one. The only other places I'd ever heard of where like you lived where you worked and did everything were in communist countries like China with the Danwei system or were like, you know, places where people were trapped in their work life and bought everything from a company store and had no way of leaving. Yeah. So there are ways in which the tech industry totally turned on its head, how we thought we were going to live and work, and they are starting to fall away. Is is this the main one? Are there other ways?
1: Yeah, I mean, also prisons, right? Prisons kind of tend to provide for everything. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> yes.
1: So yeah. Yeah, I think, look, I think good riddance to that stuff. Uh, I don't think that tech, look, I think in many ways, I mean, say I'm a technologist, I've been in tech for my, my whole life. And uh I wouldn't do it if I wasn't optimistic about 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 the general effects of technology on, on the world. Um, but I think in many ways tech has had a localized quite poor impact. Um it's 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 actually been pretty terrible for San Francisco, for for the area. Uh it's been good in some ways and really bad in other ways. And a lot of I think what you're describing, Katie, is like, yeah, good good riddance to that stuff, good riddance to we take over your life if you're an employee and that was always fundamentally dishonest anyway because people pretended you know reed hoffman wrote a great book about this years ago called the alliance um where he says there's a fundamental dishonesty in the way that companies and employees interact which is everyone talks about this as if it was like a lifelong relationship but everyone actually knows that it's like a two-year relationship like the average tenure of tech workers is getting you know smaller and smaller anyone could be fired at will or can leave at will and this is like a dishonest thing and so it's never worked well it's never been fully transparent it's never been fully honest it's never been virtuous and 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 most importantly it's been completely unfair and inaccessible like yeah you could work at Google in 2012 and they would provide for all of your needs as long as you were the kind of person that could get a job and keep a job at Google in 2012 which was well first of all you had to be You know, you had to have graduated from certain schools, you had to be, you know, relatively technical. you had to be, you know, in the area, there was massive advantages to being male, there was massive advantages to being white. Um, There were certainly massive disadvantages to, for example, uh, having to take care of, you know, someone in the family that needed, that needed attention, or having to take care of an elderly parent, or having kids or something like that. Um, So like, for the narrow group of people that got, that was able to kind of have these jobs, they still kind of sucked. Although, you know, you made good money and you got free free snacks. Um, And now what we're saying is we can unpack all of that. We can say, all we care about is how much do you contribute. And we don't care about where you live. And we don't care about what hours you work. And you don't have to commute. And so that saves, you know, a ton of time. And you don't have to be cognitively as narrow as you used to have to be. Uh, What I mean by that is, like, this is actually super interesting. So I I was a big in-person guy, right? At Evernote, I banned... Uh, You couldn't like dial into a board meeting. I said, like, show up in person or don't bother coming. Mm. I hated this stuff. And uh, I did a lot of, you know, uh, we do a lot of like product design, a lot of creative uh, design. And the way we always used to do that is we'd, you know, pile into a conference room and we put stickies. You had different color stickies all over the walls with different ideas. And we would shout out ideas. And that was like the way we were being super creative. I loved that process. Now, when the pandemic started, I was like, crap, can't do that anymore. Can't get, you know, get in a conference room with stickies. How are we going to be creative? And so, you know, I was really bummed Uh, and we had to, but we had to start doing it in Figma and stuff like that. And it was pretty painful at first, but within a couple of weeks, I was like, wait a minute, I'm actually getting a lot of really high quality work from these people that I didn't expect much from before. They were like maybe kind of the quiet ones, the not very creative ones, at least that's what I thought. And I realized that like, yeah, well, the problem is there's a lot of people who are brilliant and creative. They just like, don't feel like interrupting the CEO or telling me to shut up or shouting out an idea within three seconds of of having it enter their head, there's a lot of people who prefer to take 20 minutes or a day to think through something. And those people are brilliant. And the structure of working that we had, by we, I mean, you know, us at at Evernote and Turtles, but also Google in 2012, really like disadvantages those people. Because like, unless you're like the scrappy kind of person that's going to shout out random things in meetings and like elbow people aside, you weren't going to get heard. And so we have this, like, we had this renaissance of creativity from from people who just don't have that kind of personality type. And there's actually many more of those people, I think, uh, than than people who are, you know, boisterous and and want to interrupt yeah. and, and are creative. And, like, they should be included in having a good life as well. So we just try to be intentional about this stuff. And I think it's, I think that's far better off. I think this saying that, like, yeah, you don't have to spend all your time with your coworkers. In fact, you kind of can't, <laughs> even if you wanted to. Uh, and you do have time to for art and for family and to take care of other people and to think about stuff. Um, and it's not, you know, infinite random snacks and offices and we just take that money and we give it to you because we trust that you, you spend it better than, than, than we would. Like, I don't know, it's kind of beautiful. And so we've, so far, we've we've had a lot of success with that. We understand that we don't understand a lot of it. So we have to like reinvent things. We can't get too attached to any particular policy yet. But, but you know, so far so good. But again, it is it is early days. It's only been, I don't know, I guess two years since this whole thing started.
2: Do you think Google could have been Google without the Googleplex and, and that environment? I mean, it, you know, Evernote, relatively large company at its peak. Um, you know, do you think any of these, you know, tech behemoths, uh, you know, how much is their Campus a major part of what they do.
1: So yeah, look, I think uh, you know, is Google Google now? Right, they haven't been for the most part in an office altogether for a while. Have they gotten significantly less innovative? I, mean, I don't know. I guess it's hard to say, but it's probably been okay. Uh, is Apple still Apple? I mean, yeah, for the most part. Um, now, I think uh, all of us got really lucky. I think the world got really lucky that the pandemic happened when it happened and not five years earlier. Because you know Zoom and things like that were mature enough right. that we could do it. Hmm. I think I think had it had right. COVID, you know, had it been you know COVID fourteen, uh, I think we would have been a lot more screwed as a world. Just because like the technological infrastructure just wasn't wasn't there, both in terms of the the apps and also availability of broadband and things like that. So in, in some sense, no, like Google twenty twelve probably couldn't have done it, but Google twenty twenty two certainly can. Um, so yeah, I think like. Uh, I, I think the, the 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 campuses were always like kind of a cultish thing. Look at Evernote. Right. I was really into figuring this out. So, and I was uh, I was a really progressive thinking CEO. I said uh, we're going to spend a lot of money to build a really great office, which we did. Our office in Redwood City is beautiful. I spent a lot of money in that office. Designed some of the staircases. Like, oh, it was great, great. Uh, big open areas, lots of light. How was the
2: food? Good food. Very good food. Yeah.
1: We had to spend a lot of money on that. And then we had to spend a lot of money making fancy buses to bus people for 90 minutes at a time, on average, from San Francisco to this office. And not everyone wanted to be bussed in. Um, and, of course, like at first we had big plans for like wrapping the buses in beautiful art. But then we realized, actually, they just get egged and attacked because everyone else hates those buses.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. That was such a period. Oh, like, yeah. It feels like, yeah.
1: So we had to make them generic looking. But we still had, you know, those buses are expensive, man. Uh, but we also had like you know we, we we spent a lot of money to get people you know on average it was uh, ninety minutes each way so three hours a day oh my god so we spent money we asked people to sit in traffic for three hours which were super unhealthy yes you can't be with your family yes you can't be really productive even though we had a lot of we spent a lot of money on internet for those buses but no one really wants to work because you're kind of motion sick uh, super bad for the environment obviously um, and then uh, after three hours a day of bussing people into this central location, this was the coup de grace, I, I, we bought everyone really nice headphones so that they could wear headphones to isolate themselves from everyone else that we had also bust into this like central location. And so this was like our advanced uh-huh. management thinking is that everyone actually got a nice pair of Bose headphones so they could ignore the other people. And somehow I didn't realize that this was just idiotic. Like, Like literally everything I just described to you, we actually did and felt good about it. And like, of course, going back now, I was like, well, that was really stupid. That was really, really dumb. And I should have known, like when we started having to buy people expensive headphones so that they could ignore their coworkers and be productive in this open space that we were forcing everyone to be into, that should have been the tip off. Uh,
2: But it wasn't because, you know, a lot of us were into the cult of like nice
1: offices and,
2: you know, good riddance. Yeah. Phil, I know you, if I'm not wrong, We're a big and maybe still are a big uh, D&D player? (laughs) Uh, Used to be. uh, Haven't played in, you know, several decades. Okay.
1: But yes, yes, I uh, more or less learned English, you know, through Dungeons & Dragons. Really? Interesting.
2: Um, Do you feel in any way that your experience being a dungeon master or, or your time playing the game has prepared you at all for the metaverse or in any way, you know, <laughs> living in some sort of virtualized world that, you know, has us, the you know, gives us the ability to reskin and reimagine ourselves.
1: Uh, I did actually know all of the uh, ready player one, tomb of horrors references uh, from the, the beginning of that book and that movie. It was, uh, it was you it was, had a
2: great post at, at some point pointing out all the mistakes that stranger <laughs> things had made <laughs> in their depiction. I, I liked that a lot. I remember yeah.
1: that. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, had just, a um, couple of last week, not in the metaverse. I, I, I traveled a little bit for the holidays. I went to sp- spend some time with a friend of mine in Wisconsin and I made a quasi-religious pilgrimage to Lake Geneva and I found the Gary Gygax memorial, you know, plaque. <laughs> wow. On, under the snow. I Beautiful. To, like I, I think I tweeted it I to like clear some snow out of the way to find it, but but it was there. It's there. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, uh, I think a lot of, I think this is partially why I'm so skeptical about these concepts is because obviously for nerds, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons and computer nerds like I am, we have literally been in, you know, Immeshed in these concepts that are currently the metaverse for 40 years and like it hasn't actually been interesting or new or original and i i i very much appreciate uh you know good storytelling and good fantasy and uh you know a good uh, a good escape once in a while but like actually seeing the kind of stuff that mark zuckerberg is like presenting as if anyone would ever want that um is it's it's kind of weird uh,
2: i kind of maybe yeah. think that
1: maybe more of the current people who are investing in it you know, need to play some Dungeons and Dragons and get it out of their system. Yeah.
2: Well, look, my last thing here is, first of all, we're all very excited that you're getting a dog or are going to be getting a puppy. Have you at all considered maybe just getting, you know, a virtualized skeuomorphic avatar of a <laughs> puffy in the metaverse legless uh, that your friends could buy NFT outfits for?
3: One who would not bark in the background of your podcast, forcing your husband to chase him around the house.
2: <laughs> yeah. Have you thought that maybe that could give you... That could give you the same level of fulfillment that your puppy will one day give you. I
1: actually wonder if the environmental, if, if the lifetime environmental impact of a of a real dog is greater or less than the environmental impact of like an NFT <laughs> dog. And it's probably less. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but, but it doesn't have to be either or. I can and probably will do both.
2: Yeah. Well, that's exciting.
1: And a robot dog to bridge the gap. Like a right. robot dog, like one of those Boston Dynamics, super creepy dogs. That's clearly going to be like, yeah, like one of those and a real dog and a metaverse dog.
2: Uh-huh. I think
1: yeah, that'll be the pack.
2: It will terrorize the streets of Bentonville. Uh anyway, Phil, this was awesome. Uh this was uh this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Tom.
3: Thanks, Phil. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye. Silicon Valley.
2: Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.